Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, the program that shines a spotlight on positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization in the city of brotherly love. Coming to you live from the G-Town Radio Studio on Maplewood Mall in Germantown. Here's your host, Alina DeLisser. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show. My name is Alina, and my guest today is someone who is driven to change our community. His name is Jordan P. Ferriani, and he's the executive director of Trades for a Difference, an organization whose mission is to revitalize neighborhoods by educating and mentoring young people interested in getting into the construction industry. Uh, Jordan is a Mount Airy native, and he's also an award-winning contractor and a local real estate developer. He has successfully launched and operated several successful construction-based startups in Philadelphia, including Ferriani Electric and Northwest Pro Services. He's also been recognized by the, con- by the construction industry and has been named to an honorary list of 30 entrepreneurs under the age of 30 by one of the world's leading kitchen and baths trade associations and has also been recognized by the state of Pennsylvania as a community champion. In addition to all of this, his work has been featured in the press with media coverage in Philadelphia Magazine, Philadelphia Business Journal, and the Associated Press, just to name a few. And last but not least, Jordan is also affiliated with the Jumpstart Germantown program, where he is both an alum of the program and now a mentor. Welcome to the show, Jordan. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. It's great having you here. So um, let's talk a little bit about Trades for a Difference. How exactly would you describe the organization's mission, and when did you start it? So Trades for a Difference is my baby. Uh, I started it about three years ago. Um, what Trades for a Difference does is we provide educations and training in the construction skill set realm with an emphasis on entrepreneurial learning. Ultimately, what we do is we expose young people to construction skills and opportunities within the construction industry and then create pipelines for them into the trade so that they're able to take to lucrative career sets. Our goal is to push young people not only into the trades, but into the upper echelon of the trades, uh, where you see the skilled trades from electrical, contractors, plumbers, HVAC, uh, carpenters, um, some of the more advanced skill sets. But we put a major emphasis on entrepreneurial learning because we're not only trying to produce tomorrow's next workforce, but we're also trying to be able to produce the leaders of the industry. So through entrepreneurial training and entrepreneurial learning, we're ultimately cultivating and developing the young people who are going to be the future leaders of tomorrow. And we feel that that entrepreneurship piece is very, very important because it not only promotes the next black and brown startups within the construction space, but it also promotes and just develops characteristics and traits that coincide with that of a leader. Um, So we've been doing it for three years now. We hit the ground running. We've been blessed. Um, I had a lot of areas of expertise and relationships and economies in place from some of my other dealings in the construction industry. So it's relatively simple for us to be able to put together programming and then uh, those training programs that we were always ultimately providing for our employees, we just restructured them to be able to provide those same trainings and put additional resources in there for young people so that we could create opportunity for them through our program. So was there um, was there a personal incident or personal story that happened that prompted you to start it now in, in, in this in this decade, you know? Absolutely. Um, I mean, for me, my life kind of came full circle because when I was younger, I always wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to be a high school history teacher. Like, that's what I wanted to be. Um, and as life would have it, my life led me into the trades and into the construction industry. And through the trades, um, we were able to find a great deal of success um, for myself and my family, and I'll definitely elaborate on that a bit more. Um, but in my climb to the top and into my climb to receiving national accolades and awards and press, 
I'd be flown around the country and take part in leadership summits and uh, big trade shows that are like the biggest national trade shows in the country. And I'd get to these stages and I'd get to these platforms and I get invited to these VIP parties or these cocktail dinners. And I look around the room and I wouldn't see anyone who looked like me. And for me, I was just, I was just always wondering like, you know, why am I the youngest person here? Why am I the only person of color here? And, it took I, I took it a little bit personal, but it also kind of ignited a passion into me to want to go home to my community um, and coming back from those shows and start something that was going to be able to make sure that more people that come from similar walks of life like me and from my community could take to those opportunities and, and reach those rooms and those levels as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was ultimately just wanting to share my blessings and share um, what had ultimately changed my life to be able to give it back to my community members, to be able to show them how to do the same. That's great. So, you know, the context is key for everything that we're going to talk about today. And there's a lot happening right now in in our economy, both the local economy and the national economy. Um, There's a tremendous need for skilled tradespeople, and it's only going to get greater with all the baby boomers hitting retirement age. Um, There's an estimate that there might be 31 million skilled labor jobs that will go unfilled by next year due to baby boomers retiring yeah i mean it's a it's a stat that is really alarming and um it's that that 31 million is across all skilled labor all advanced manufacturing intellectual and uh hands-on as well uh when you zero in on the construction trade and the skill trade within that space independently we're talking about over two hundred fifty thousand unfilled positions right here right now and there's so much need for opportunity and high paying jobs and with so many people in our community being underemployed and a lot of the trade secrets are leaving with the baby boomer generation i mean they're retiring 10,000 baby boomers per day and none of our young people are interested per se in filling these spots and a big part of it is about the exposure And just making sure that our young people are even aware because when you talk trades and construction, they usually correlate it with something that's not even really what it exactly is. And they're not thinking of how high that ladder of opportunity actually goes. So what we try to do is show it to them. Right, right. So that's another thing, too. I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know, the trades, vocational and technical education over the decades. And this is going back, you know, probably back to the, you know, 1960s or something, um, or maybe the 70s, has been devalued, you know, across the board. You know, everybody's got this idea that everybody's got to go to college. Everybody's got to go get a four-year degree. And it's like, well, what about the trades? What about the trades? Yeah. I mean, the trades are a a viable option. And honestly, they're like a great option and a great opportunity that is largely overlooked. Um, and it's, a, it's an open secret, right, that uh, many of the highest-paying trades in America are filled with people who began their careers with short, skill-based training, like what you're offering, right? Absolutely. It starts with the exposure. Um, a lot of what we do is just expose our young people to these opportunities, and we give them experiential learning through a mixture of our unique curriculum, and it allows them to even be able to explore what they're actually interested in doing. And after they're able to explore those different skill sets and see real-life tradesmen who have wonderful lives and have successfully been able to navigate and to be able to reach a position to where they have a beautiful home, they have a vacation home, they have a nice truck, or even if it's not about the materialistic, then they're able to provide and take care of their family with no problem. And they have job security. In this day and age where we're talking about outsourcing and artificial intelligence and the robots are going to take our take our jobs, I mean, this this is built-in job security. It's, right? a, it's, it's definitely job security, and it's... It's, it's kind of strange because it's like a double-edged sword. So for someone like me, uh, being a licensed master electrician and a master carpenter and having you know a vast amount of skill sets in the trades, I look at this skills trade gap, and honestly, from one side of it, it's like, okay, it's just making our position more exclusive. So instead of charging you $60, $70, $80, $90 an hour, you know, if this problem persists, and we can eventually get to a point to where we're able to charge even double that. But it's not sustainable. And um, in that gap lies a huge silver lining of opportunity so 
I would be remiss if I didn't expose people to it and uh, be able to provide opportunity for my surrounding community through that opportunity. So we're just trying to expose the young people and let them know, yes, there's a lot of job security. And when you compare a trades education or a vocational education to that of like a college degree um, and the actual costs, the ROI on your investment and the stats on that are, is overwhelmingly good. So, um, I mean, you can literally get into the trades and make a six-figure salary and have next to no student loan debt. Uh, so that's a major part that we also expose and educate our people on. But it's also strange, too, because when you bring up the fact that there's stigmas behind the trades and the perception of the trades and the way people look at it, it's pretty, it's, it's pretty strange because the trades are always correlated with being dirty, dusty, you know, covered in paint. Um, covered in dust, hopping out of the back of the truck. And this is even more prevalent in the inner cities where a lot of times our people are held at the bottom of the totem pole, per se, in the more labor-intensive trades. And so when these young people think about the trades, they're thinking dirty, dusty. My uncle does that. My cousin does that. He makes $80 a day. He makes $100 a day. They're not even thinking about the fact that there are people that are amongst the upper echelon of the trade making $40, $50, $60, $70, $80 an hour as skilled laborers per se, but they're working with their hands, but they're also working with their mind. But then also there's a huge opportunity in the trades for the intellectual as well, because people are often, you know, quarter the trades with just being labor intensive, but they don't think about the fact that, you know, architects going all the way back to the Roman Greco periods and the Egyptians. And when they were, they were the most pristine and prestigious people in the community. They were the chief builders. You know, you have architects, you have engineers, you have estimators, you have salesmen, you have construction managers who are making well over six figures. The top 75% of construction managers are making $125,000 a year with a four-year degree. And no one's having those conversations with our young people. So the trade is not only limited to the hands-on um vocational alternative to college but there's also a lot of pathways in the trades for the intellectual as well so we, before we go deep into the curriculum of what you offer talk a little bit more about um, the underrepresentation of people of color and women in the trades um, the the, uh, the stats are pretty astonishing yeah I mean it's a huge disparity um, to say the least uh, in the city of Philadelphia right now, there's um, a big push to have minorities and women uh, participated in being a part of the workforce. And a lot of the minority inclusion stats are somewhere between 15 to even as high as 50% right now. You have 50% goals. They don't like to call them quotas. They call them goals. And you have firms that are literally suggesting that they can't even get to 15%. And you have 25% participation goals and these firms and these developers are putting out 10% stats. And the number one thing they use is plausible deniability to an extent. Well, we can't find anybody. We can't find anybody. No one's interested. Um, and Fake if, news. if it's not that, then it's, uh, you know, oh, well, no one qualifies. So, you know, there's barriers to entry, the driver's license, the uh, GD, the diploma, um, and then the test itself. Um, to where as though it's sometimes said that there aren't enough people that are qualified and we don't believe that be that to be the case at all. And um, what we're specializing in doing is producing candidates who are qualified and who are able to take through those opportunities so we can say, OK, here's 20 young people. Here's 30 young people. They're all qualified. Um, we made sure of it. They can pass your test. We prepared them for it. They can measure. You know, they can cut. Uh, they have the right attitude. They have the right overall outlook. They're ready. They're eager. They're hungry. They'll wake up in the morning. They'll be on time. They're inquisitive. They esteem themselves as leaders. And this is how what comes back to our entrepreneurial um, programming and our entrepreneurial aspects. We're able to teach our young people that, hey, you know, even if you're at the bottom of the totem pole, esteem yourself as the boss. Esteem yourself as a leader because that's going to be your value add. And bosses and people in position of management see that. Uh, we want our young people to be able to provide peace of mind, to be able to provide value and esteem themselves as the boss, even when they're just a fresh person on the job site. So. Right. And be self-directed and you know a self-starter, not waiting to be directed. Absolutely. Self-starter and being inquisitive. You know, there's things that you, you may not know, but guess what? When you go home that day, 
take the Google University, take the YouTube University, uh, look up the forums on the Builder Trade forums, and when you come back that next day, show your value in the fact that you went out on your own and learned those things to make yourself a, a, a more person, a bigger person of value on the job site. Great. So Trades for a Difference has multiple objectives, um, such as training partnerships and mentorships. Can you give us a, more of an overview of what the different um, aspects of the curriculum entails and how you partner with local businesses to offer apprenticeships? Absolutely. So it's definitely a mouthful. And before I even get into that, a lot of people need to understand like the makeup of the organization and how the entrepreneurial uh, modeling and concepts play heavily into how we do and how we're able to effectively do what we do without spreading ourselves too thin. So we're very big on the fact that we don't always need to be the smartest person in the room. But we'll make sure that we have supporting, um, you know, resources and other partners who can fill those voids. And also, you know, we believe firmly that this isn't something that we're going to be able to solve on our own. Uh, we believe in collaborative impact. Like I firmly believe in the fact that the only way we solve these huge problems that we have is together. So. In thinking that way, it allows us to be able to maneuver and provide multiple services um, while still not being overextended or spread too thin, as some people would think. Um, but primarily at the core of what we do is the construction leadership development programming. Uh, we have entrepreneurial learning programs. Um, and then we also have venue spaces that we build and we um, are installing them throughout our community as we develop so that these venues can be used for other programs or other collaborative efforts so that other people can join in this fight with us so it's not just us on our own. But the primary program that we do is our construction leadership development program. So that's a mixture of in-classroom, uh, in-lab controlled environment, and on-the-job training um, programming. So our young people are exposed to just the overall opportunity within the construction space in the classroom environment, they learn professional development. We establish expectations with them because that's a big thing that's missing in a lot of the vocational training is making sure that our young people have expectations. Okay, I'm in class. This is what's going to happen. This is what it's going to look like. And we always make sure that they're super conscious that they know this is step one. It's going to be step two, three, four, five, six. All of it's going to involve education. All of it's going to involve, you know, continuing to be young, hungry, ambitious. Um, but if you follow these steps, you will get there. So in the classroom, we establish that professional development. Uh, we do the expectations. Uh, we do a lot of intellectual exposure. Like, so we do blueprint training. So blueprint 101, uh, drafting 101. Our young people actually learn how to design and draft from to scale. They learn how to read blueprints to scale. Um, they learn quantity takeoffs and estimation methods. As And again, this is all to just expose them to these skill sets and to these disciplines because ultimately we're trying to set off a light bulb that says, Bing, I like doing this. I see myself doing this. So that ha happens in the classroom as well as with OSHA training and uh, safety certifications to make sure that they're prepared to walk on a job site the day they walk out of the classroom because in the city of Philadelphia, you need an OSHA certification. So we make sure they get that. Um, and then they take to the learning lab where they learn different skill sets from electrical 101, uh, carpentry 101, masonry 101, uh, and also some plumbing. And after they get to cultivate different um, skill sets and they're able to learn how to use different hand tools, then the fun part begins. So we take their new positive attitude, their new positive outlook. We take their eagerness and their hungriness. We take their newfound skills, and we take them into the community to do greater good. So that's a big part of our program to where we're really able to make huge breakthroughs for these young people and open their minds up to a whole nother level and teach them give back culture. So we do what we call projects with purpose. So projects with purpose is when we take our young people into the community to provide services or to provide assistance to community members. Um, it ranges from everything from huge blight removal projects where we take abandoned buildings, dilapidated structures and nuisance properties and repurpose them for better use all the way to small repairs for low income seniors, disabled veterans, single parents living below the poverty line. Uh, we also do a few other things where we're working on cleaning up pocket parks or doing beautification pro projects with pocket parks or storefronts and 
We're marching up and down the avenue these days. Some people may have seen us on the news doing community cleanup services and beautification services along with that. Um, but ultimately, our young people are taken to the community to provide services, to be able to cultivate their skills, learn customer service, uh, learn how to be able to operate with their skills in the real world. But most importantly for us, they learn the give back culture. They learn that, you know, when you pour back into others, you pour back into your community, you know, the world has a way of pouring back into you. And we want them to understand that and take that very literally. So we take them and show them that firsthand through our projects. Um, that's a really big part of it. And then last but not least in that construction leadership development, but there's more professional development, resume building. We're preparing them for testing for the union test. Uh, there's a lot of math tutoring. Um, test taking skills uh skills and strategies and uh, a lot of interviews at the end of that we're trying to connect our young people with jobs um but we understand that it's going to be a process so after they finish the construction leadership development program they then move on to our alumni track which is six to 12 months which is basically their goal planning and roadmaps to success period where we connect them with additional services. We connect them with employers. We connect them with higher institutions of education. We make sure they get that driver's license. We make sure they have the social security card. We make sure they have anything that can be, you know, a preventive or a barrier or obstacle for them reaching to where they're trying to go. And we spend those times helping them to get to where they're trying to go while still keeping them in the fold of the projects and cleaning the avenue and working on the blight removal projects. So it's a, it's a pretty unique vehicle, but it allows us to keep pushing our young people until they reach their overall destination and goal in the trades. That's great. Thank you for that. So and it doesn't stop there. So I told you yeah. it was a mouthful. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot more, but I'm going to hit you with that piece um, for right now because that's the core of what we do in the construction leadership. And then the entrepreneurial programs and everything else, I could touch on that as well if you like. No, no, that's great. That's great. <laughs> I was wondering um, while you were giving the overview, it's a lot of um, the curriculum is so comprehensive. How many months does it take? And tell me more about the... The, the demographic profile of the participants. What age what, what age group are we talking about here? So our young people are ages 16 to 26, primarily. Like, that's our core focus. Um, it winds up being more so 18 to 22. Um, but we'll even go past 26 up to 30 if someone is really, really hungry and they, and they show that they're really serious. Um, we have a little bit of patience for some of our younger people. Um, but if you know, you're, you're, you're on the North side of 26, uh, our, our, our patience might not be, you know, as deep for you. So we want to make sure that you're really serious. Um, and if you're 16 to 18, we want to make sure that you have your GED or diploma because we don't want to be looked at as an alternative to education. Um, we want to make sure that our people, if they're in that age range, that they at least have their um, GED or diploma. And a lot of our young people, about 70% of the population we serve are aged out foster care kids. Um, so they're transitioning out of uh, DHS, group homes, foster homes, and they're getting ready to take to adulthood on their own. So we're trying to provide them with opportunity and get them prepared for the real world. And then about another 20% or so was reentry, and then 10% or so was just overall just um, open application, open enrollment. So that first, that first phase of, of training where they're getting exposure to all the different trades and they're learning how to read blue, blue, uh, blueprints and all that stuff, how many, how many months is that? So the first, the construction leadership development program, um, which is the first phase of our program, is four weeks. Oh, it's four um, weeks. So wow. it's a lot packed into four weeks. Ooh. But the curriculum is structured in a way that has been able to be really effective, and we've been able to make sure that our young people are able to absorb this information. Now, we're not naive to the fact that we want to make it longer. We'd love it to be eight weeks, and we're working on that right now. Um, ultimately, that's come down to funding. Um, in the beginning, we literally funded this program out of our own pockets, and we've been blessed and fortunate enough to be able to bring in some funding and some state money and some other monies to be able to uphold the program. But right now we're going after other rounds of funding so that we can double the construction leadership development to eight weeks. Um, and so right now it's four weeks. At the end of the four weeks, we put together the comprehensive roadmap to success. So basically what we do at the end of that four weeks is we sit down with our young people and we have a conversation. We're also making our own professional assessments and saying, 
Okay, they were inclined towards the electrical. They did really well in the carpentry. Um, or maybe they're more intellectually inclined and they would um, be better suited for um, a roadmap that leads to community college for construction management. Or someone is actually prepared for the union. Because a lot of people think everyone's union, 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 union. But, you know, I love the union. They uphold the, you know, the overall workforce and they uphold a lot of standards. But everyone is not made out for the union it's just a, a reality so um at the end of those four weeks we put together a comprehensive plan um that from assessment and also the feedback of the participant the individual and we come up with a roadmap to success in terms of how they're going to get to where they're trying to go so that alumni track then takes place for six to twelve months and the way we're able to form these comprehensive plans for this for the population we're serving honestly comes down to because we are them um, I've, I've been in a lot of these young people's shoes and if I haven't, my staff has. Um, and if you're a woman who's trying to break into the construction industry, that's a male dominated industry. I can tell you how my mother did it, who couldn't screw a screw or hammer a nail. Or, you know, if you're put, trying to get into the intellectual space and become a designer or architect, I can tell you how my little brother did it. Um, you know, who never got an A in his life and was a C and D student, <laughs> but now is one of the best designers in the country. I mean, top five. Um, in the interior luxury design world. So we have a lot of nuanced and intricate pieces of ourselves that are inside of our programming to be able to reach our population, to teach them how to overcome a lot of these hurdles and obstacles and barriers. So everyone, we're here today with Jordan P. Ferriani, Executive Director of Trades for a Difference. Um, so Jordan, tell us a little bit more of some of these success stories. Um, for example, the Chu Avenue Project at 6812 Chew Avenue. Um, that is that that has gotten a lot of media attention for the good work that you've done there. Absolutely. Tell us about that one. Absolutely. It was a, it was a, a a wonderful project. Um we came to it trying to help the neighborhood and resolve a problem. There was a former nuisance bar there that was there for a really long time. Anybody from the community may have known the Purple Palace. I mean, I grew up right there on Chew Avenue, so you know, it's been a piece of my childhood and my past. So I knew of that place really well, but it's problematic. There was a Philadelphia police officer that was slain there in the seventies, um, trying to protect and serve. Um, there was other homicides that happened and occurred overdoses, um, all types of drug transactions and problems that occurred there. And after dealing with decades of that, and that being a nuisance to the community, we discovered that it was getting ready to change hands and be sold to um, the owners of another stop-and-go deli that's in the community. And we're talking about one of those stop-and-go delis with the bulletproof glass, malt liquor, drug paraphernalia, a bunch of guys hanging outside up to a bunch of nothing. And the neighborhood, we've come so far and, you know, we've we've worked so hard to be able to restore our community. And everyone was just really disheartened to hear that. So we all came together collectively. And honestly, we joined the fight to be able to try to find a solution to the problem. And ultimately what happened was that we had to buy them out. And that was like they were like, OK, we'll leave if you buy us out. And the building was in such bad shape that it was literally getting ready to fall to the ground. I mean, the second floor of the apartment space was the rear of the building was about a foot higher um, on the floor level from the front. So you're literally talking about if you put a tennis ball on the ground, it would literally roll all the way to the front. And it was, there were broken beer bottles and needles and crack pipes and all types of sleeping bags. And it, oh, it, the place man. was a mess. It was, it was horrible. And, that was just the one corner. I mean, the one uh, property immediately next door was a vacant um, property that sat vacant for almost 15 years that was being used as a squatter's paradise and, you know, a drug hangout. And you could literally see all the way through to the roof, all the way down to the basement. Um, it was just it was horrible. Again, filled up to the brim with all types of things that you would never want your kids to be around. And this was all within the eye shot of a Philadelphia Parks and Recreation Center, like literally 100 yards across the street, Lodge Pleasant Playground, where kids are outside playing. And they were getting ready to bring a stop and go deli, and that was not what the neighborhood needed. So what we did was we were able to buy them out, and after we bought them out, we were stuck with this 
a disaster of a building that was literally getting ready to fall to the ground. So what we did was we used our business acumen, our, our skill sets in the trades, um, our resources, and we were able to reconstruct and do a complete overhaul of the whole building, uh, both buildings. And we were able to teach young people how skill set construction in the process. And so it became a living laboratory for your it became a living laboratory. We we turned it into a beautiful home for a family on the left side at 6810. And then we um, turned the corner property into a community learning center. So that community learning center is now the hub for Trades for Differences classroom training, um, as well as a venue space for all different types of educational programs in the community. And it was an amazing thing for us because here's this group of young black and brown men you know, all 32 years old or younger, and everyone's coming to the job site and everyone's like rolling past saying, wow, this is amazing. This is God's work. This is this is beautiful. Who's in charge? And I'm like, I am. Or my or my, my staff, you know, my, my partners, we are. Um, and it was just a great sense of pride to be able to be able to produce that level of a project and with that complexity and receive a lot of recognition for it. So when it was all said and done, we received multiple publications, Business Journal, Philadelphia Magazine. We had a big grand opening. Mayor Kenny came out, uh, Channel 3. That was 3. in 2018 or 2017? That, that was in 2018. 2018. Oh, that was yeah. last year. Yeah, okay. it was last year. So Congratulations. Thank you. It was an amazing thing. Channel 3, Channel 10, yeah, yeah. KYW was like, wow. So it was a great sense of pride, but it was an amazing thing to be able to look in our, our young people's face and our mentees' faces and see how proud they were to even be a part of it. And every time they're in the community or they walk down the street, I made that building. I, I, I was a part of that building. And that that type of thing, it, you know, it warms my heart to be able to see my young people, to yeah. be able to esteem themselves so highly. Yeah, I saw I saw a video um, with uh, one of the neighbors, one of the one of the gentlemen that lives in the area, and his, his voice was cracking as he was talking about what this meant for him and for the community, the fact that you guys had found that you had you had you had done this provided the solution for the neighborhood. It was a, it's a big thing. And, you know, I, I'm from the neighborhood. So for me, it was kind of even, you know, even more special for me because, you know, I literally walked past that building a thousand times throughout my childhood. And, you know, to see my friends and to see my community members like, you know, they're so proud of us and people are so happy about it. Like people still pull up to us today and drive past and beep their horns and pull over and, you know, thank us for doing it. So it's That's just a, great. A, a great thing, a great experience. And, you know, that was the beginning of mm -hmm. our, our big uh, blight removal project initiatives. Mm -hmm. And since then, mm -hmm. now we're moving on to other things as well. So it's been great. And so the Chu Avenue project was also one of your connections with the Jumpstart Germantown program, correct? Absolutely. So that project was funded by Jumpstart Germantown Loan. Um, Ken was more than happy to help us to be able he's, to... Yeah, he's got only one name. No, Ken, Ken, well, Ken Weinstein. Ken Weinstein. Everyone knows who Ken is. Ken, Ken's name precedes his, you know, himself. I Ken. mean, you know, Ken and the program Jumpstart Germantown, to be honest, played a huge part in a lot of what we're doing. Um, I mean, because while I had a lot of understanding education and I've developed a lot of projects from a construction side before um, prior to some of that time period um, you know I didn't have a whole lot of expertise in the real estate development realm but Jumpstart gave me a lot of of the intricacies and the nuances and with, you know, God blessing me with intellect, I was able to put it all together relatively quickly. And, you know, three years later, four years later, I've been really, really successful in real estate development and have been able to use uh, those skills that I learned from Jumpstart to be able to, you know, apply those into our program and even make our program even more successful. So shout out to Ken Weinstein and full name, uh, Ken, <laughs> you know, you definitely um, have been a big supporter and a big advocate of our program. So we appreciate it. That's great. That's great. So Jordan, you know, tell us a little bit more about your background because um, you're mainly self-taught, right? Yeah. So I'm um, initially very self, uh, initially a lot of our teaching was self-taught. So, you know, not to get too deep on everybody, but, you know, I grew up in, in Mount Airy, um, but my family wasn't exempt from the harsh realities of poverty. Um, my mother um, came from North Philly. Her, she wanted to get us to Mount Airy. We were biracial. My father was black. My mother was white. Um, and, you know, back in the 80s, Mount Airy was 
the place to be um, if you were biracial and it was a, a wonderful place to raise your kids. So my mother got us to Mount Airy, but, you know, she struggled a lot. And um, my mother didn't have the highest level of formal education and fancy plaques and diplomas on the wall. But what she lacked in those degrees, she made up for in her grit and her work ethic and her resiliency. My mother is like an entrepreneur's entrepreneur. And she just worked so hard and her work ethic was just through the roof. And she'd always have some sort of business, whether it was a fruit stand that she used to drag up to Shelton Avenue um, in the back of her station wagon, or she was selling kitchen cutlery knives or trying to structure deals to sell things on QVC. She just, she just had this work ethic that we would just watch day in and day out. And, you know, I got my work ethic and my entrepreneurial spirit from my mother. Um, And she taught us that work ethic that ultimately got me to where I am. And we fell on a lot of hard times. You know, it wasn't, the easiest growing up um we faced a lot of adversity and you know my mother always did the best she could and but it reached a point to where we were in a position of literally getting ready to lose everything that we had and you know probably moving back to north philly or having to move away from my area as a family and we had to pull together as a family and um we started a handyman company because we knew that there was money to be made in that space and we had dibbled and dabbled in it a bit and so we started a handyman company out of the trunk of a Chrysler 200C with a bucket full of tools from the pawn shop. And my brother and I and, and um, my two brothers and my mother, we started to self-educate and learn how to provide different services. And there would be times where we would literally be learning how to do something the night before or pulling up to the job that morning. But we would walk into the space and we'd and be an expert. this before YouTube. This, this is before you could educate on YouTube, right? Well, YouTube was kind of around because <laughs> okay. I'm, thir- I'm 32, you know, okay. this is like, so it was like kind of when the when the internet was um, coming about. Um, but yeah, we had to self t- self-teach ourselves and, um, you know, we were able to learn it really easily and well and it seemed like something that was a really, really good fit. So we eventually took um, that handyman company and were able to convert it into a kitchen and bath design firm that my little brother and my mother started and I eventually joined in on. And that kitchen and bath firm wound up becoming and grown we wound up growing it into what's now a nationally awarded luxury design build firm. With a wait list. With a long <laughs> wait list and a, a minimum project budget, Farini Kitchens, Baths and Interiors. Um won multiple awards. Um it's, yep. it's taken us around the country. Um, yeah, I saw a video with Gordon Ramsay that your brother did. Yep. So my family was able to do um, a surprise renovation project for Chef Gordon Ramsay. So my brother did a wonderful job. Uh, Matthew Farini, shout out to my brother. He did a wonderful job um, doing the design uh, for the project. And it's then beautiful. our family's company um, produced the actual product. And that was a, a huge win for us. We got other accolades and publishments and different awards. And, you know, it took us around the country. My brother won awards. My mother won awards. I've won awards. And then I eventually used that platform to launch my electrical contracting company and my real estate company and my, um, my, my general contracting company. And, you know, that was the beginning of it all for us. And for us to be able to reach that level of success and we get to travel the country and I'm in places where I'm sitting down and, you know, the owner of Home Depot or Kohler or Samsung is sitting right next to me and we're having conversations and, I consider that to be the upper echelon of the industry. You know, people are suited and booted and tied, tied, and they don't have, they don't know about dust and dirt being on their clothes. Not that it's, they haven't experienced that before, but you know, this isn't that portion of the industry. And that was what I was, became so passionate about wanting to share because that saved my, the construction industry saved my life and my family's life and provided a lot of opportunity for us. So I would be remiss if I didn't share that with my community. So, you know, after being able to accomplish all those things, I have to give give back. I just, I, I have to. I want to be able to sleep at night. So That's great. That's great. So you have another project that's in, in development, uh, 5011 Germantown Avenue. Can you tell us a little bit more about what that project's about? Absolutely. So um, we have a project down at 5011 Germantown Avenue. It's a historically designated building uh, that was built in the 18th century, the old royal house. Uh, It was owned by the royal family, which was a really prestigious family in Philadelphia in their heyday. That building was beautiful. It fell on really, really hard times over the the last few centuries. And 
it was in really bad shape when we came upon it and literally getting ready to fall down to the ground. And not only getting ready to fall down to the ground, but it was in a section of Germantown that deals with a lot of issues with violence and a lot of issues with poverty. And when we purchased the building, there were literally bullet holes in the front of it. Um, there, was a, there was a literally a memorial right across the street for a young man that had lost his life there. And within the last year and a half, two years, there have been about eight homicides within 100 150 yards of that building. I mean, there have been people who have lost their lives literally on 10 feet away from our building, literally on our building, 100 feet down the street, left to the right, down Garfield Street. So it's an area of Germantown that can definitely use some help and can use a spark of, you know, development and also a place of prosperity to be able to provide resources to the community. So we figured we would solve all those problems with, at once. So with us being developers, us being entrepreneurs, us having training programs, again, we're using that project to be able to create jobs and train people in the community. And then also once it's completed, to be able to provide a platform for education. So we're doing a full renovation of the building from top to bottom. Um, the building over has long time ago became a, a, a mixed use, a multi family uh, mixed-use commercial uh, multifamily building uh, with an accessory building in the rear where there's an auto mechanics garage. So we're definitely going to be doing a full renovation. It's going to be beautiful. We're going to keep the longtime community member um, who was there, Mr. Roger, Mr. Roger Chisholm, who's been in the garage forever. Um, he's a staple in the community, a mentor in the community. So we're, we're going to keep him there, but we're also going to use his knowledge and his opportunities that he's been able to create for himself to be able to give back to the community as well. So we're going to be doing mentorship programs and auto mechanic training programs out of the space as well. Um, in the front, it's too soon to say, but I'm just going to say that we're launching something um, that's going to be done by one of our graduates of our entrepreneurial program. And then throughout, there's going to be really nice apartments that um, are going to be provided to community members um, and young people that are with our, our program that are in need. It's not going to be a residential pro, uh, residential housing program, but it's going to be a space that um, is going to be rented out to young people who you know are laddering in the opportunity and need a place to reside. So how many units, how many apartment units will, will you be able to have? So there's going to be four apartments oh, okay. in there. Yep. Okay. Yep. So what's the time time frame? Like by this time next year it'll be up or Oh no, or? no, this will be done in about two to three months. Oh okay. yeah. So we started we ran into a bunch of uh barriers with the historical commission. Love the historical commission, um, but we could do without some of the uh excessive uh, obstacles or barriers that we faced. Um we were led to believe that the project was going to be uh, treated in a way that was conscious of the economic hardships and the location and the neighborhood. And that ultimately was going to dictate how much money we could put into the space because at the end of the day, it has to be able to sustain. It has to be able to, you know, make money or at least sustain itself in order to, you know, not take our shirt off of our back. And um, initially we were to understand that, they were going to be a little lenient, but it uh, it got a little tricky with some of the stuff, uh, and some of the stuff was overly scrutinized a bit. But it slowed it down a bit. But we're back on track now, and we're about two to two to three months out of That's being completion. Great. And when we're done, we're going to do a big uh, grand opening. Um, we're going to do a big community event. So everybody, please be on the lookout for that because we want the whole community to be a part of it. Well, that's great. That's great. So um, what are your future plans for the organization? Where do you see Trades for a Difference three years from now, five years from now? What, you know, what's on your vision board? Um, so we want to continue to just be able to create opportunity. We wanted to start home. So we wanted to really be able to make an impact in the Northwest. Um, there have been lots of uh, situations where there's been opportunities that were pulling us in other directions or other sections of the city. But we wanted to make sure that we took care of home first. And we wanted to make sure that, you know, Germantown and Mount Airy and, you know, the Northwest as a whole and entirety was able to 
you know, take to these opportunities first. Um, but now that we've been able to stabilize and we've had 57 participants in our program throughout the last year, um, 100% completion rating across the last 10 cohorts, uh, 73% job placement, 64% going on to higher education opportunities. Like we've, you know, we, we've been doing really, really good. So um, now we're going to start expanding into uh, other sections of the city. So in the very near future, we're going to be um, pushing into West Philly and doing some programming over there as well. Again, doing some development and um, producing education platforms. So everywhere we build, everywhere we develop, our goal is to be able to install education centers and venues that are able to provide opportunity for the community because a lot of what we're doing is development-based, and it's a slippery slope when you're dealing with the G word and, you know, you're making very much needed improvements to your community. The G word being gentrification. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just joking when I, I'm joking when I say that. But, the word you know, that cannot be spoken. So, you know, we so what we want to do is be able to provide opportunities where we build because we're going to – our communities need, you know, upgrades. Our communities – need improvements our community members our aunts our uncles our grandparents our sisters our brothers deserve to have nice neighborhoods but how do you do it while not displacing long-time standing community members and how do you do it while being conscious of the fact that there are people right around you hurting that you know can't necessarily afford a four hundred thousand dollar house so we do it by providing education and so Everywhere we're venturing, we're developing venues and educational uh, programs um, that are not only going to be able to be for trades for a difference, but also uh, a venue that can be used for other small programs, other community uh, collaborative efforts. Um, we're just trying to be able to provide the space to be able to have magic things happen. So we're on Learning Center 3, and um, we'll probably be on Learning Center 4 um, in the next year or so. Um, in terms of where we see us going overall, we just want to continue to just be a conduit to create change. Um, we never really sought out to be an institution of education. Like we're not doing this to be a huge trade school. We're doing this to be a conduit to opportunity. We're doing it to be a conduit to economic justice and community development and, you know, uh, resolve solving problems around homelessness and blight and violence. So in doing that, we're establishing ourselves as subject matter experts and working along with municipalities and other failing institutions mm -hmm. to be able to help them be able to solve some of their problems and us be able to help them increase their stats and retention rates and success rates and outcomes. So that is honestly the direction we're going in. We're going to keep on uh, providing training programs because that's at the core of what we do. We're going to keep developing, but we're also pushing into an area to where we're going to be doing a lot of consulting and working alongside of municipalities and communities and institutions to help them to be able to increase their successful outcomes. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. right now, as we speak, we're we're working in Stanford, Connecticut, um, and. We're getting ready to um, push out to New Jersey, and we're getting requests to come down to Delaware, and we've even gotten requests to come out to Colorado, and we're going to do those things as from a consultant okay. realm right, right. and subject matter expert realm and to be able to help these institutions and these municipalities to be able to resolve some of their problems. So That's great. That's great. So for people locally here in the Philadelphia area who want to support and get involved with Trades for a Difference, um, what's the best way for them to reach out to you? And are there any particular areas, either skills, skill wise or uh, business wise that you really are, could use some support right now? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So we can be reached at in a few different ways. So we can be reached at info at tradesfordifference.org. Uh, we also can be reached at our direct office number at 267-270-5095. Again, that's 267 two seven zero five zero nine five um we also can be um reached on our website we have links for volunteerism uh, we also have a link that is for a become a student link so anyone who has any young people between the ages of 16 to 26 that are interested in enrolling in our programs they can literally go on our website www.tradesfordifference.org and click our become a student link and to fill out a small questionnaire and then they'll receive a follow-up in regards to the next steps um, which would be phone interview an in-person interview um, and then actual enrollment so right now our program is free 
um, for young people in the community. Um, we're going to keep it free. We, we try to make sure that our programs that are geared towards young people in need and are looking for opportunity can, you know, they can take to that opportunity for free. We do have about a three to four month waiting list right now. Um, so definitely fill out your application sooner rather than later. Um, in regards to collaboration and other organizations, we love to collaborate with others. Um, we're not one of those organizations that's really standoffish or trying to be all things. We don't have big egos. Like we really just want to move the needle and solve problems. Um, so we don't like to necessarily do a lot of talking, even though I've been doing a lot of talking today. Um, we're all about showing up and leading with the work. Um, any organizations that are interested in supporting us or joining us um, can be reached through all those other methods that we just said. Um, and we're also always looking for money. Um, you know, I definitely want to put that out there. In the beginning, we funded this a lot of, out of a lot of it out of our own pocket. Um, we absolutely knew that wasn't sustainable. We've been able to get different grants, but in order for us to continue to grow capacity and just you know, make the programs of more value and reach more people. Uh, we definitely are looking for additional money. Um, right now, we're in the process of building out our Projects with Purpose arm that provides services for low-income seniors, disabled vets, and uh, single parents living below the poverty line. Um, we are looking for supports and funding for that realm because we want to definitely be able to make sure that we're able to provide services to our long-time standing community members that have been here forever you know, they deserve to have, you know, repairs made to their home. Um, if we can help them do it while training people, you know, it's a win-win for everybody. You know, it's a lot easier to combat the G word when the lowball offers start rolling in and, you know, your grandmother doesn't have a leaky roof anymore or she doesn't have drafty windows or, you know, her bottom steps aren't broken because now she's not inclined to sell out to that low offer you know she's inclined to stay she's inclined to enjoy her life and if we could do that while training people and teaching people you know it's the best of all of all worlds so um anyone that's interested in supporting us in any of those realms we definitely would appreciate it and um yeah well folks there you have it and you definitely need to check out his his website give the website address again it's at www.tradesfordifference.org it's a there's a lot of detailed information on there there's photos this is a real real positive organization that is making an impact on northwest philadelphia so folks there you have it we've been talking with jordan p ferriani executive director of trades for a difference it's been fantastic having you on the show today thank you for coming in thank you so much appreciate you having me and so we're at the end of another episode um we are now officially a podcast everybody so you can find the jumpstart philly real estate radio show on apple itunes google play stitcher and spotify uh, check us out and subscribe and i'll be back again next friday with another interview so until then have a great weekend and i'll see you next time bye bye